you are your customer's partner. You need to link arms and you need to tell them when they're doing something stupid because you will both pay the price. Welcome to the Hyper Engage podcast. We are so happy to have you along our journey. Here, we uncover bits of knowledge from some of the greatest minds in tech. We unearth the hows, whys, and whats that drive the tech of today. Welcome to the movement. Hey, greetings, everybody. This is Adil from Hyper Engage podcast. I have my co-host, Taylor Kennerson, and our very special guest, Paul. Very jolly, very uh, interesting guest that we had a a bit of conversation uh the post uh the, before this uh meeting we had a record so thank you very much paul for taking the time he's the vp of uh customer success and services at uh Trifecta, which is a very interesting platform uh i mean serving in the data preparation platform it seems like they're working with big data let's explore more uh thank you uh, for joining today paul yeah well thank you for having me i'm uh, happy to be here cool stuff so, Paul, looking at uh, your journey, like uh, academics, I was looking at uh, back in uh, late 80s and 90s, you've done your uh, your bachelor's and then a math, and then you have an, uh, an, an MBA on top from Stanford. How does, like, of course, education is necessary. Back in the days, even uh, at that time, it was uh, technology boom, Microsoft coming, Apple, uh, you know, uh, you know, hitting the Internet. What was your thought process at that young age, uh, getting into technology that you are right now? Uh, of course, you're more integrated with uh, with businesses and communities in, in in the valley, and that was that's how it all started. So, what was your thought process as a, as, as somebody as young as that? Yeah, well, so uh, generally speaking, I decided to major in electrical engineering because I like math and I like science. My father was an electrical engineering professor, and what the hell? Uh, why not? Why not do that? Um, and I I loved it. Place where I went for undergrad had a tiny double E department, only 15 people graduated a year, um, which was awesome because in every class I could raise my hand and bring the whole class to a stop if I had a question. I didn't feel bad about it. Uh, when I went to grad school at at, uh, at 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 MIT, my first lecture had 200 people in it, and there was no raising of hands and asking questions and stopping the class uh, by the time I got there. Um, but uh, during uh, college, I actually got the summer internship that just literally changed my life. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever uh, recall uh, the name of the company that makes that tri-cornered phone mm-hmm. in every conference room ever. Uh, it's called Polycom. Mm. Uh, and I was there when they were launching the first version of that phone. I had a summer internship. I was researching their next generation product. So I was doing the double E work for their next product. Um, but it was 22 people. Uh, on Friday nights here, and I was out here in the valley. Uh, so Friday nights, uh, traffic was awful. So I would stay late and rollerblade with the CFO, uh, you know, which as a 21-year-old doesn't normally happen. Um, but it was way more fun than waiting for the traffic to die down. Uh, and every week, people were meeting in the cafeteria and going over engineering breakthroughs, marketing advancements, new contracts that were signed up, analysts who were giving good reviews of the product. And it was so... Uh, exciting, and everyone was pulling in the same direction. It felt like a team sport. I was mm-hmm. like, "This is what work should be." Uh, so at that point, I went startup. <laughs> uh, I like the small teams. I like that I knew everyone and felt like I could bond with them, um, and it was the right place for me. And the reason I picked, you know, my undergrad is because I had a small major. I would know everyone, and I, I've always liked the smaller communities. Um, so that 
that uh, kind of was the jink in the curve. Uh, went to grad school to move from chip design to signal processing because I thought there'd be a lot more startups in communications than there would be in chips. Um, although there are plenty in chips, there were more in communication. Uh, and then uh, managed in grad school to hook up with some prep, uh, professors and start a company and started the uh, entrepreneurial journey with, with actually an electric vehicle company before it was cool. Uh, and uh, uh, did that for several years. Uh, building out you know, initial prototypes, distribution networks, getting success stories, uh, went to raise the money to, to build the factory, an honest to God factory in 1998, uh, but mm. it was the dot-com boom. We did not have a dot-com after our name and no VC wanted to fund a factory. So we <laughs> sold the business to our closest competitor and I went back to business school uh, to learn all the things I should have known before we started the, started the business. Uh, so that mm. was kind of how, like how I got into startups and and uh, kind of why the the educational journey I I, I pursued um, mm -hmm. and I, I'm happy to talk about kind of what pulled me into software from there but that's kind of mm -hmm. the early journey mm -hmm. amazing love that I mean it, it's it all about how you connect your dots and sometimes academics is something that helps you trigger those dots in terms of uh, knowledge in terms of information in terms of exposure uh, just like this, just similar to this happened with Steve Jobs as well. He left uh, Apple and he had, went to the school, had a degree, uh, had a, had that calligraphy class that it had a real impact uh, in, into the design of, of the first Mac that came out. So it is all about, you know, getting your academics and having a directional uh, knowledge towards what you're trying to accomplish at that point. It's not about thinking too much far out to long term at that point. Uh, a lot of people, they uh, they seek visibility, they seek, uh, and they try to chase passion at that point uh, as young as 21. So I love your journey. Uh, and I, I also see your uh, your prior experience at first, uh, 14 long years you spent there and you started with, uh, with a pretty unique role that sits on top of all the uh, customer facing operations and, you know, deals more with support and tech teams as a chief a customer officer. Could you uh, dive deep into how, uh, you know, what was your intention initially joining uh, some uh, platform like Burst and then joining as a chief customer officer? I mean, some of the challenges you had personally to join that that role, you achieved those, uh, those milestones you, you did uh, for, yeah. for quite a long so, time. <laughs> so uh, this is where the, the part of the old guy story is going to come out. But uh, left uh, business school and went to... Uh, Siebel Systems, which was Salesforce.com back in the client server era and when dinosaurs were still walking around the earth. Um, mm -hmm. the, uh, uh, they acquired a little analytics company called Enquire, uh, and they wanted to take all the data that people had typed into Siebel and turn it into pretty dashboards so people could actually measure their business, not track a service request, but hey, how many service requests are we getting? <laughs> um, and being able to do all the math and trend it and all that stuff. So uh, I got... Uh, assigned because I'd previously been an entrepreneur uh, to be the person who would figure out what the sales analytics uh, application should be. Um, and so I got to build that business. Uh, you know, we literally got called into a room and said, hey, we just bought this company. There's a list of products on the wall. Mine was sales, uh, sales analytics. Put my name next to it. I said, that's great. There's people for me for service and order management and marketing and all the other things that are in our CRM suite. I said, that's awesome. What is a sales analytics application? And they went, oh, uh, we've already sold it though. So be sure to ship. 
So uh, I got to make up the product and do all these things. Uh, it was three awesome years where I got to kind of just um, imagine what this thing would be because no one really understood it. Uh, the people from the analytics side didn't understand the sales side. The people on the sales side had no idea what analytics were. So I had a lot of freedom, despite it being a big, tightly managed company. I had a lot of uh, free reign, uh, which was unusual at the time. Um, that was a lot of fun. Uh, during that journey, however, uh, one of my closest uh, uh, compadres and collaborators uh, was a gentleman who managed the analytics platform on which my applications were built. Gentleman by the name of uh, Brad Peters, a good friend of mine, um, and we had plenty of time uh, working late, uh, complaining about how inefficient this process was and all the things we'd like to do to make it better. Um, and uh, we left the business uh, to start Burst um, with kind of the premise being, "Hey, I bet you could do this better in a SaaS way. If you built an integrated platform instead of having all these layers of a cake that you have to stack together, and each time you have to declare every object, what if you made it one thing so you declare it once and you just go more quickly?" Um, that was kind of the the idea for 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 Burst. Um, I started because I came up through product. I started on the product marketing messaging. Uh, actually, did uh, some of the initial sales calls and and spent everything on the. Uh, figuring out what would, what would have value, what would people want, and how can we get it to them, and what should it be priced at? All those good questions. Um, and as the company started to grow, uh, we started having some challenges on the delivery side. Uh, and as we kind of looked around the table, it was like, okay, Paul, you go solve that problem. And so I went to the back of the business. Um, and uh, uh, there was one support engineer. Uh, we did not yet have a, a, a CSM. Uh, and we had, I think, four or five services people uh, who were who were working with customers. Um, and I would, uh, was very fortunate to bring in someone who's been a longtime collaborator with me as one of the first real CSMs, a gentleman by the name of Andrew Kane, who I hope you have the opportunity to chat with. Um, and uh, but he had been in telesales uh, at at first, and but had the right mindset about how we make the customer successful, how we set them up for long term success, so we get the renewals and we get upsells. Uh, and pulled him back into the business. And, and the term customer success was just being coined literally yes. at the time. It was very uh, early, yes. So we got to make it all up. Uh, no one no one knew what they were doing. And so we got to kind of imagine what we thought it should be uh, and kind of built it from there. And I, I fell in love with the delivery side because um, uh, there's a reason I'm an engineer, not a physicist. I, I like <laughs> when things become real. Uh, it's all fine and good, but you want you want to make school hard for me. You make it theoretical physics. You want to make school fun for me. Let me design something that I could actually make at the end of the day. Um, so, uh, but software is very theoretical. A demo is a demo until the customer is using. In my opinion, it's not real. Um, it only becomes real in its application. Absolutely. So uh, that part of taking what is what is an, what is a, a kind of a, a beautifully designed thing and then making it something that actually works for someone is the part that I like. So that I've, I've kind of fallen in love with the delivery side. Um, in terms of kind of, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's seeing that build, you know, from the foundation, you have this idea, this theory, and then being able to see its journey actually in action. And the end destination is what you know fulfills that end of you and then dive into how 
I, I love you have such a unique journey into CS because you're very you went from you know data startup entrepreneur analytics now you're you know then you're br bridging in so many different cross functions and different niches and stuff that you're passionate about into now CS. How do you drive CS with all of that unconventional experience that maybe traditional CSMs don't have because they're coming into it for the first time and that's their only thing that they've, you know, encountered with a company? Yeah. Uh, well, there, and I've, I've, the good news is, uh, first we, you know, grew for, uh, over time from, from, you know, three people sitting around a table at a Starbucks to over 300. Um, and so everything you build two years later is totally broken now, <laughs> uh, because you're bigger and different. Uh, and so you rebuild it and re-rebuild it and you get to see what works and what didn't work and why this was, uh, you know, figure out why this helped and why this didn't. Um, and uh, uh, so I learned a ton, which was awesome. Um, mm. But in terms of uh, kind of the, the perspective I bring is fundamentally, um, CS is very much about uh, guiding the customer. And I'm using this word very specifically. Because uh, because uh, uh, most companies when they first start and I've generally played uh, at the uh, the jobs I've had and that attract me are more software platforms. It's not an application that has three use cases. And when I show up, I know it's one of three use cases, and I walk you through those three use cases. Uh, platforms are things that can be used for anything, right? In data and analytics, anyone this is the good news. Anyone with data can use it. Uh, here's the bad news. Anyone with data can use it. It could be marketing. It could be, uh, we actually locked up uh, at first the uh, logistics business on most of the logistics, like the shipping containers. Uh, uh, apparently we didn't sell to enough of them based on what happened in COVID. Um, but shipping containers, it could be people who have software applications that want to provide dashboards for them. You could use it for anything. And the data itself can be arbitrarily huge. It could be log data from thousands of routers. In, in text form, or it could be a teeny tiny database. Um, so you, you've got orders of magnitude and complexity. You've got orders of magnitude and scale. You've got orders of magnitude and structure. Um, and you've got to figure out how to guide people to analyze their business productively, uh, despite not having any idea what their business outcome might be uh, necessarily, because, well, you have to figure it out. But, but when you start, it could be anything. Uh, and their data could be anything. And, and having that flexibility to be able to adapt uh, on both ends is, is that's a real challenge. Um, and it is I, a big I, challenge, big challenge. Uh, so I uh, love that. So in general, my approach um, has been to build, since you don't know the endpoint and you don't know the starting point, um, to really build out a process that allows you to systematically ask questions and get the right technical people in the room to help at different points, to help them follow. I, the, you know, the analogy I use is basically find the, the paved trail through the woods. Um, and a lot of companies, when they first start, and we did this when we first started, which is why we had some of the delivery challenges we did, uh, was uh, sell a very flexible tool uh, to a customer who can use it for anything. And they know best, let them figure out how they want to use it. Well. Uh, we we soon, <laughs> you know, people are wanting to free climb half dome, some of them, right? With no ropes right away, day one. Uh, some of them want to dive to the bottom of the ocean with just a snorkel mask, 
Um, and they're trying to do these impossible things that are wildly uh, inappropriate. Um, generally, they've had a couple days of training, but they don't, they're very smart and talented, but they've never used your platform before. They don't understand any of the nuances and they make these architectural decisions on day one that are horrifically bad for them and for you as the, as the vendor. Um, and there's all kinds of pain. So we, we basically set up a process where we could systematically identify where they were trying to go, identify where they're starting, bring in the right people who have worked with the tool forever, which is our employees, right? People have been there for a long time, would map out kind of the architectural path for them, help them build the first use case or two or three, but build the first use case, make sure they go to training, they work with us as they build it. They don't make those horrific decisions that by the way, at the time you don't know are horrific. You only find out three months later, right? Like, right. Uh, so you avoid uh, picking the path that has the bridge that's missing uh, and all those things and really set them out on the path. And, and uh, the CS role is really kind of the, the conductor of making sure all these steps are happening and that we're identifying the value, guiding them to the value, make sure we do um, real checkpoints. And part of the methodology that, that we've always used is, and you have to be very open because every customer wants to change their journey as they should, uh, but they don't want to change it so much they fail. And Absolutely. so you've got to have the courage. Yes. And it, it really is courage, courage and confidence yes. to stand in front of some of these customers and say, I know you want to do that. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about why you want to do that, where you're trying to go. And I promise you there's a better way. Like, for instance, did you know you can just walk up Kilimanjaro? You can free climb Half Dome if you want, but you can get to the mm -hmm. same part just by walking up Kilimanjaro. So you slip on about... Half Dome your dead, or yes. you walk up with me on Kilimanjaro. Which one? Yes. A lot of people, they need, uh, you know, uh, customer-facing leaders and, uh, you know, talking to these uh, senior leadership, C-suite leadership, especially in the mediums and large-scale enterprise. A lot of them, uh, we have experienced people uh, sharing a lot of these opinions and all. They are not talking their language. They are not, a lot. all they need is just clarity, visibility into where they're heading. And uh, they're trying to, they're not so much confident and, and, and courageous, as you said. Uh, but, and they're thinking so much of falling back and, you know, losing that customer, losing that relationship. So it's all about, you know, being brave and being uh, pretty much blunt at times, even in the difficult conversations and uh, see your customers as partners. And, you know, you're married to one idea, one goal, and you're working together as, as a crew. Great stuff. So I've seen you, you've worked quite a bit at, uh, you know, on the GTM side of it as well. I, I'm I'm looking Brist, uh, Brist as a platform that seems like serves more towards uh, the medium to large scale enterprise. How does it, the GTM look like uh, for the SMB and mid-market? Mid like when you were building the frameworks and you had some experiments, uh, could you share more, uh, some of the experiments and some of the challenges and key takeaways? Because we have startups, yeah, sure. uh, we have, uh, I'm sorry, we have SaaS platforms from Series B to C that are more, Serving towards uh, small to mid-sized uh, businesses, they are really facing big challenges when it comes to GTM. But limited funds, you know that it's not the best time to raise funds right now that easily. So I would appreciate if we just go down deep that route a bit when it comes to uh, working at this. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so there, there. At first, we predominantly had two motions. Um, we started in the mid-market, right? So. 50K a year kind of sales, 
30 to 70, right? That kind of fat middle uh, with a CSM and some services, light services help um, and built a journey where we could walk you through those early use cases and, and build out the education and do things um, with a high rate of success. And it's generally a relatively small team using it for, for a, a very defined use case at that purchase size. It, at least for us, it was one, one focused use case almost exclusively. So we got through that first use case, we're set, right? You, you, we're not done forever because they obviously need to evolve and adapt and there may be a next use case next year, but, but you're really mostly there. Uh, we also have big enterprise relationships that could be you know, a quarter million from two to two and a half million where the first use case is it's just the first use case. Like they've got, they've got a long list of them. Um, and there's a slightly different engagement model. It takes more of the CSM's time because you're not orchestrating um, the early dance through one use case, you're orchestrating through uh, plural uh, use cases. Could be two, could be seven, right? Could be 15, um, but it takes more time. So you have fewer accounts, but they're higher dollars. So we can afford to invest the time. Um, and orchestrating that journey was um, those two motions uh, rhymed. They were very close to each other. Um, weren't identical because you can invest more in one case than the other. How often you touch base after that, you know, a little more, a little more frequently with the big customers and the small ones. Um, the place where uh, uh, when when I moved to um, Trifacta, which has you know since been acquired by Alterix, uh, so I was chief customer officer at Trifacta and. And that made me a VP at Alterx. Um, the, uh, uh, the, the basic thing that we had was a lot of mid-market, a lot of enterprise, but the part of the motion that was new to me uh, was much more of a PLG, $1,000 a year, I'm opting in kind of motion. Um, and Trifacta, uh, like Burst, is a data prep platform. So again, you could be using the data for anything. It could be data on anything. It could be any department. It could be any complexity. It could be any structure. It could be any scale. Everything, all the same degrees of freedom. Um, and so the motions at Trifacta uh, rhymed with those from Burst. It, they're different, of course, because the actual outcome is what a successful use case looks like, how they get about, like all of those things are different. Um, but someone who worked at first who moved over to uh, Trifacta uh, would not take long to learn the new motion, right? Like they were, they were similar. Um, yes. But the, but the part that was really new for me is how do you deliver guidance? And this is hard. How do you deliver guidance for $1,000 a year? Um, and, th and this is a challenge that we were getting into. Um, and and that too, like, that to self-serve you, you got to make sure that you're not spending a lot of resources like you have like systems in place that can you know have some sort of plg motion to it so you can expand you can adopt those customers and then you can expand over years mm -hmm. so that's great so tell us more about it yeah so so we ended up um and we were very fortunate to have a, have a very very uh capable uh, uh woman take this challenge on but it was how do you sprinkle out welcome emails and videos. Um, and then we augmented that with uh, early touch for customers that wanted it. Because PLG, a lot of times people go PLG because they don't want to talk to you, right? Like this is, if someone's getting 50,000, 500,000 or 5 million from their boss, they generally want to talk to you, <laughs> usually, because uh, they don't want to blow this, right? They want it to go well. Um, but $1,000, they are signaling by their purchase that they don't want to talk to you. 
generally. Um, so uh, providing um, for those that want it, um, and we always reached out proactively, but not everyone took us up on, on the offer. Um, basically, we found that if we did um, four, and, and again, this should be totally different depending on your product and other things, but about four one-hour sessions um, with those that opted in, we could dramatically improve the success arc for those customers that opted in um, and raise the success path overall. But you're only going to get, you know, we got, I, I don't know, a third to half of the people to opt in ever. That's the highest we got. Um, but if you can put a real kink in the curve for 30 to 50% of your early customers, a lot of whom then ultimately a year or two later turn into mid-market and then a couple of years after that. Like, the lifetime value gets expanded. Great. So, yeah. I mean, you're talking about onboarding. Most part of it was, uh, you know, four sessions that you spoke. It was pretty much hands-on. So there was more related to, you know, onboarding and integration and, you know, maybe knowledge sharing, some other training uh, centers. So did you think of, like, of course, every customer experience is unique, as you said. For a $1,000, they may have different, they want to leverage data for different operations, mm -hmm. unique operations. So did you make an attempt as a, as a GTM leader to make a unified or maybe a standardized uh, training standard for, for customers to maybe have some sort of uh, PLG touch to it? And then you can do it at scale. Of course, doing four sessions, it becomes pretty, uh, you know, on the cost side, it becomes pretty, uh, you know, expensive. It's a hefty uh, investment as, a, as some business that has been there for about six, seven years. So how did you get it? Did you have any kind of attempt making it? Uh, as a business intelligence platform, it was much easier. But now talking about uh, AlterX, what kind of, uh, you know, experiments you had did? in that domain yeah so so we tried and and um in general there's there's so if you're uh the conductor of the orchestra for a 50k or 500k or five million dollar relationship you're very much the conductor right services comes in you are not necessarily uh, people learn what the basic best practices are and they pretty quickly recognize if someone says hey i want to go do this thing like well, <laughs> Based on our conversation, you're trying to accomplish this. I think you'd do better down this path. Um, but they couldn't do the design, right? Um, so uh, in the PLG motion, we had to have people who are uh, more technical um, and, and to have the ability to provide, honest to God, technical guidance, um, we, at, a, at an envelope, we could um, kind of, with good conscience, invest in a $1,000 a year customer um, we generally skewed to people who are newer in their career with more technical skills who wanted to get to the customer facing side um, and a, more of a services skill set and mindset than a uh, support skill set and mindset. Um, and they could, in fact, you know, we did have uh, online training that you could opt in for free, right? You just go take the course. And that was one of the things we did in our emails is pound people to go, please go take the training, please go take the training. You can take the en entry one, which is pretty quick. You can do it in a, you know, an afternoon to a day, depending on your background. Um, or, uh, and then if you get through that, you can do the advanced one, which is gonna be two days, um, but at least do this one. Um, and uh, so we, we leaned heavily on uh, trying to get customers to opt in to these courses. Now, 
people's attention span back way back in the 1900s when I was starting my career. Um, the uh, people didn't mind spending an afternoon, but now an afternoon is an eternity. Give me a video that's two minutes long. Yes. Um, so building out uh, building out that education content in a way that it can be chunked meaningfully um, is kind of where we were uh, at the time of the acquisition and the acquisition kind of not hit pause on that because you got other other things to figure out, right? Um, but how you take that afternoon, which is already bite-sized and to call it half hour to, to two hour chunks, um, turning those into five minute videos, two minute videos is really hard. Um, it it that, becomes that really hard. That was the part hard. we were getting to. Yeah. All right, so where are you guys at, like at Alterx? I'm sure you're uh, going to join another role as well real soon. So how do you see the journey of Alterx going forward in the next few years? And what are the you know key decisions that you've made or you're going to make uh, in, in the coming uh, years that are going to define the uh, real success? I'm, I'm sure you've recently got acquired uh, as well. So what kind of operations, uh, operational decisions as well, if you, if you want to put some light on it? Yeah, so uh, fundamentally, and, I, and I'll answer this uh, more retrospectively than prospectively, uh, 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 we've always measured, I've always believed very firmly, uh, there, are, there are really two measures of success for customer success, but it's really one. Most important one is uh, net dollar retention. Yes. Um, we, <laughs> uh, although people have finally, I think, come around to the correct definition of net dollar retention, um, I invented a, a same store sales metric. Uh, that that uh, captures the, the 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 real idea because some people do net dollar retention, which is uh, renewals minus attrition over what was available to renew. That formula, that yes. What what you need is uh, renewals plus anniversaries minus attrition over renewals plus anniversaries because I could have a three year contract if I'm going from year one to year two. Hey, I'd love that 100 percent of those bills that go out get paid. Uh, in some quarters, that's true. Uh, but generally, someone's gone out of business, there's some real hardships, yeah. something happened somewhere, and you get back, I don't know, 98, 97, 99, some, a high percentage, but not 100. Um, mm -hmm. And, and uh, I found net dollar retention, if you ignore the anniversaries, you're disincenting your CSMs from getting two and three year contracts. If you measure mm -hmm. with... Uh, you know, the total revenue stream, not just those that are up for renewal, you're incenting them, we'll put as many into the 98% renewal lane as you can, instead of the, you know, 88 or 82 or 91, whatever the rest of the business is, your, your total, your total renewal rate is going to be higher, the more you run through the 98% lane, 99% lane. Um, Great. So yeah, it's uh, all about anniversaries. Yeah, it's all about anniversaries. I'm getting my anniversaries, uh, anniversary down for, for the first year in three months. So you know, let's see how I retain. Well, well, congratulations. That's the most important <laughs> renewal of all. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, so the, I, I think the first anniversary is paper. Uh, so uh, way back in the day uh, when I had my first anniversary and, and tickets to events were still paper. That was that way I chose a paper ticket to the opera uh, just out here. But uh, mm -hmm. the uh, uh, neither here nor there. Uh, but that's how we measure it. Uh, the other one is obviously NPS, and, and we measure NPS uh, both periodically with the survey from the company and at the end of every support case, um, mm -hmm. just to make sure okay. we've got kind of our finger on the pulse of what's going on. Um, mm -hmm. Different audiences, there's a very different audience that's actually working in the tool 
that runs into issues and files the cases. Mm. The, the honest to God practitioners do that. Um, the business people around the practitioners uh, are the ones you really want to run the periodic surveys for uh, to make sure you're getting their voice too, right? Because mm -hmm. you can have happy. So how do you? Go ahead. You know, I, I've seen uh, a lot of uh, SaaS businesses doing uh, standardized NPS programs like these service periodic services. How do you personalize it? I've seen some of the businesses I've spoken to. They are having a personal personalized service related to different industries, related to different uh, segment of their customers. Uh, do you do anything like that, or are you planning to do any? Personalized, maybe not for everybody, not for a thousand ones, but uh, you know those customers that are lying in the mid mid market space at least to uh, you know get the real feedback. Because if I get like I've, I've had uh, one from Intercom last week, a few weeks back, I was just like going, "Oh, that's fine, that's good." It would have taken only five seconds, ten seconds. That's it. I, I didn't bother too much. I don't even remember what I what I gave. So how do you place uh, systems and uh, psychologies uh, around building these personalized experiences uh, when it comes to NPS? Yeah, so, and this is where being in the platform space, I've got a slightly different take on this because um, mm -hmm. we don't have three use cases where if I know which of your three use cases, I can send you a, a tailored survey to you. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. If I've got a thousand customers, I've got a thousand use cases. Um, mm. So, uh, so we had to give this, the same, uh, uncover um, kind of the same things. And, mm -hmm. and again, more with the process of asking the questions in a set sequence to get the answers we want, uh, mm -hmm. rather than um, digging deep. You know, it, it's, we can only get so deep to make it consistent. It's not um, scalable. With you. Well, well, I mean, it's scalable. You can send a million of those emails. Um, but, but in terms of the questions in the sequence, um, generally, everyone gets the same. Um, what's mm. really different is the support cases because it's got to be a minute or less. And when we mm -hmm. sent the periodic um, surveys to the business people, we'd offer, I don't know, $15 Starbucks, something below the gifting limit uh, mm -hmm. to help incent people to take the time. And that would be, mm. a, I'd call it seven minutes to really do, five to seven mm. minutes. And we'd ask about different aspects of your relationship with us. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, in terms of how things are going with the CSM, how's your experience with support, like just these high level things. Um, and each page is a minute, but you know, there there are several of them, right? So mm. that was the, yeah. that was kind of the trade to get the, the broader input, and that generally hit a much bigger audience than the, the practitioners who file the cases. Mm. Okay, interesting. Paul, you're such a powerhouse of knowledge. Uh, I, I got it in like these uh, 40 minutes, and uh, we've learned a lot. Uh, not a lot of guests that we think that we need to learn from this person because there's so much of experience behind and there is no substitute to it. And uh, it is entirely my pleasure, Taylor's pleasure to have you around and, uh, you know, uh, have you listen, uh, you know, listen to all of these experiences that you've shared. Uh, and, you know, on the, like, you're serving the principle. Like, it's, uh, you know, how much of what CS and customer experiences and uh, go-to-market uh, frameworks might have changed, but the fundamentals and principles have remained the same. And you people like, you know, these folks that have done it for decades, uh, they're still sticking and they are preaching the principles and and, and we need more uh, more people like you. And it was entirely, uh, you know, my pleasure uh, to have you here today and, uh, you know, learn from you. Well, thank you for having me. I, I've enjoyed the conversation and, and uh, happy, happy I was uh, hopefully a little bit insightful.
Thank you so much, Paul. Amazing. It was amazing. Hopefully you enjoy your warm weather over there. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, it's 30, 35 degrees this morning, so not, not Ooh. that warm. Uh, Ooh, they're, getting they're rough over there. <laughs> no hot stuff, though. Love okay. it. Thank you so much, Paul. We'll be in touch. We'll talk soon. Great. Have a, Have a good Thank rest you. of your day. Thank you so very much for staying with us on the episode. Please share your feedback at adil at hyperengage.io. We definitely need it. Uh, we will see you next time with another guest on the stage with some concrete tips on how to operate better as a customer success leader and how you can empower engagements with some building some meaningful relationships. We qualify people for the episode just to make sure we bring the value to the listeners. Do reach us out if you want to refer any CS leader. Until next time, goodbye and have a good rest of your day.